Science and technology are an increasingly large part of our lives. We take a look at the interface between science and history, economics, philosophy, ethics, religion, and culture. That's Spark Dialogue Podcast, where it all comes together. I'm your host, Elizabeth Fernandez. Farming in Africa has its share of challenges. From soil quality to drought to economic issues, there's a lot to overcome. But there are those seeking to revolutionize how our culture is being done in Africa through technology, economics, and women's rights. Today we're talking to Samantha Salimu. Samantha is studying agricultural economics at the University of Zimbabwe. She has worked at farms, seeing how they affect rural livelihoods. In addition to understanding the operation and marketing of the farms, she also empowers women and youth, especially within agriculture. So welcome to the podcast, Samantha. Thank you. Thank you for having me. In Zimbabwe, what are some of the specific issues that farmers are dealing with that might be a little bit different to other parts of the world? Mm -hmm. So Zimbabwe for the past two decades has been facing economic and political instability, and that has had a major impact on the economic and social status of its population. And just as a background information, 70% of the population in Zimbabwe resides in the rural areas, right? And um, these people in the rural areas largely depend on agriculture for their livelihoods. Needless to say that this type of agriculture that they practice is subsistence, is smallholder, is just for feeding the families and not for exploitation or to get into the international market. This whole scenario has had a bad impact on the economic and social statuses of people. And there's one of the major problems that has led to is the lack of funding and capital to access inputs. So the smallholder farmers have limited access to inputs. And seeing that they have a larger share of the agriculture being practiced in Zimbabwe, they're literally responsible for feeding the nation. So that's one major challenge they're facing, which is now leading to reduced yields. There's also the problem of pests and diseases. For example, in Zimbabwe, our staple crop is maize, and that maize is being attacked by the fall armyworm. And seeing that these people do not have enough funds to purchase herbicides and pesticides is a major problem leading to a reduction in yields and consequently reduction in the food security of the country. We also have a problem of drought. Uh, Zimbabwe has experienced accumulative drought since 2002. There's also been the effect of El Nino, for example, that attacked that that had an effect in Zimbabwe in the 2015 to 2016 season, and so that combined has exacerbated the the effects of the already present challenges like lack of inputs and pests and diseases, and so now that ultimately all the all of these factors have resulted in reduced yields and there's um put the food security and nutrition security of the nation at risk. You worked at a couple of farms within Africa as well, right? Yes. So what kind of challenges specific to those different farms did you see when you lived there or when you worked there? The first challenge I noticed was there has been a drought. And compared to the earlier years where people could actually trace a pattern of how they received rainfall in their areas, in this particular situation, they, they couldn't. And so now sometimes, like in, in the first farm, farm that I worked in, they faced a, a problem of the erratic pattern of rainfall. So they planted too early and the rains came late, mm. which then stunted the growth of the, of the crop and consequently led to um, 
reduced yields. And another factor that I noticed was that um, they had a challenge accessing the appropriate herbicides and pesticides. Okay. Yes. So, for example, the first farm, they were growing tobacco and maize, and they didn't have the appropriate herbicides to spray for an appropriate weed. So they ended up just using whatever they could get access to, hoping that it would have an effect, which naturally it didn't. Right. And also, there was a problem of labor. Out of every 10 people providing labor, there was eight women, right? And some of these women were very young girls, but they also wanted income for food, just for basic needs. And so they had to, to let go of going to school and come to the farms to work to get income, just for the basic needs. In addressing some of these issues that you saw on these farms, yes. do you think that there were any types of specific technology that could be used that would specifically help these particular farmers? These farmers need um, improved access to irrigation systems and machinery such as tractors and planters because they're basically using human labor for all of these processes. And it wasn't um, sufficient enough to carry out all of the processes, to carry out all the agricultural practices that they had to do. So what happened was that they never, they were never on time to do some of the practices, which then consequently led to reduced yield and compromised harvest. So when we're talking about technology, sometimes it's you know simple things like access to better irrigation, access to better machinery, yes. and better power that can help with cooling and transportation of food and all this other things as well. Yes. In relation to this, there's actually one way that technology is being used in agriculture right now is this app called Hello Tractor. And so this makes use of the Internet of Things. It uses uh, GPS that are on tractors and other agricultural equipment that connects them to the cloud and then people can actually go and rent these out so they don't necessarily have to own the equipment themselves, but then they can communally use it together. It doesn't exist in my country yet, not to my knowledge anyway, but I've read up on it and how it's it's helping farmers access. Like some of these farmers are not able to purchase the the tractors, for example, but if they can rent it out, it, it helps them because it, it, they're renting out at a price that they can afford. Yeah, so it's a step forward. Yeah. And I really would love to see it being adopted in my country. I heard it's sort of like the Uber of <laughs> tractors. Yeah. <laughs> Another way that technology is being used in farms right now, also to improve the quality of food. Yes. For example, one of the ways to do this is to increase the micronutrients inside of food. So what are micronutrients? Micronutrients are the nutrients that are needed by the body, body basically on a day-to-day -day basis and are essential in some of the processes that are happening in the body. What can be done to food to actually make them more nutritious for people? My, my, my answer would be to uh, adopt a genetic engineering and, and, and the processes of genetically modified organisms in enhancing the quality of these foods. That's the norm in most African countries. Genetic engineering is basically um, altering the genetic makeup of an organism, right? For example, I could take maize, which is corn in this country, <laughs> and then I want to enhance the nutritional value of maize. So, for example, I want to enhance the vitamin in maize. I would take the gene. Genetic engineering is altering the genetic makeup of a plant in order to enhance, for example, 
a certain quality, like the vitamin content of a plant, right? And it's and it's specific. It doesn't alter anything else. You 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 focus on what you want to do, and I think that is a technology that if we adopted it in countries, for example, in my country where we are facing the problem of nutrition and food security, it could be it could be something that will help us combat the issue. I've seen that there have been other different types of technology that have been adopted. For example, drones to fly and see the quality of land or sensors within the soil to measure different nutrients within the soil or drought conditions or things like this. What kind of technologies did you see from a firsthand perspective when you were working on these farms? I've heard of someone, like I've heard of a farmer who has the drone you were talking about. Uh-huh. But he's not representing, to me, he's not representing the rest of Zimbabwe because they don't have, yeah, they don't have access to that. What does he use his drone for? He has a large um, farm. He grows tobacco. And I I think he has another portion where he's cutting out pan fattening of cows, of, of cattle. Okay. Yes. So I think he just, it's literally more about management, I think, monitoring the farm with his drone. Did you know anyone to use soil sensors or anything like that? One of the farmers I was at in um, Mashona Land, in the eastern part of Zimbabwe, he did say that once in a while he does those soil tests. From what I can recollect, it was more of testing the acidity in the soil. Okay. Yes. So as to know at what level it is and see if he can counteract that for a particular crop he wanted to um, grow, okay. which was soybeans. A portion of his of his land he wanted to grow soybeans, so that's okay. one part of the farm that I knew he he actually carried out tests for, uh, for the soil. Technology isn't really being adopted very quickly. Then would that be a correct statement? Yes, but yeah. also I, I can't say that it, it it's not stemming from the fact that they don't want to adopt the technology. It's more of an access issue. Okay. Yes, because I would ask sometimes as to why they're not adopting certain technologies and employing them and employing them in their agricultural practices. And most of the the answers I got was there are no funds to do that, or uh, I don't know where to get that particular machine. I'm interested, but I don't know how to get to it and use it. Okay, isn't people being a little bit nervous about adopting new technology? It's actually just about having access to it. Yes, it's, it's totally about access. From my right. point of view, yes. Is it just a question of having more money flow? Is, is it is it that easy? Some of it has to do with money flow, and then some of it has to do with the policies in place. Um, for example, in my country, we are not allowed over the past decade to get out any trials on genetic modification of organisms. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. That has been a, a no-go area. There were trials that were carried, that, that were done, but then they came to a point where they were banned. But they are in the process of reviewing the, the act to see if they can, you know, start adopting these technologies. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a bit surprising to me because in the area of genetic engineering, it does have so much promise, I guess, to help with the food supply. It does. And so why, why is there such a pushback in policy then? For us, from how I understood it, people didn't have enough information and knowledge when it came to this technology. There were a lot of gray areas and there was a lot of negativity attached to GMOs and genetic engineering. So 
people took a negative um, stance on right. these technologies, even though they they, they knew that there exists a potential of combating some of the challenges we're facing right now. And so I guess that's another portion where education can also help yes. as well. Yes, yeah. that's okay. why we're here. We want to take it back. When I think of tech being adopted into new countries, a lot of times the youth are the first to adopt it. Is tech making it such that the young people are more interested in going into farming or coming up with new ideas of how to make or revolutionize farming in the future? Yes, I think that's actually, um, I'll give you an example of my country in Zimbabwe. Young people, to be honest, don't really know the the, the avenues that agriculture provides, right? And seeing how we are practicing agriculture in my country and how it's being done here in the USA, you can see that there's a gap, right? Mm -hmm. This is where we need youth, this is where we need young people to come in and give us ideas, come up with strategies so as to catch up with what other people are doing. Mm -hmm. They think of agriculture as the dirt work. Yes, there is dirt, but we also need the brilliant minds. We also need these people to come up with um, ways of coming up with seed varieties that can help us face the challenges of drought. We also right. we need people to come up with ideas uh, of coming up with varieties that are resistant to pests. This is what we're looking for. How are you working or how are people working to get youth more involved in agriculture? They are. It's like from the university I was at, University of Zimbabwe. There's a group called um, Agricultural Students Network. Okay. So our role is to get it out there that... Um, Agriculture is not, it, it has the potential of empowering our lives as youth. And so now we gather and brainstorm ideas on how we can improve the agriculture in our country and in Africa at large. We invite um, lecturers to give um, lectures and seminars on how, on how, as youth, we can step into agriculture and re revolutionize it in Africa as a whole. So, of course, climate change is affecting everybody, but I think it's particular, it's affecting Africa a lot. Yes. Um, and so what kind of threats now are we seeing because of climate change in Africa? Climate change in Zimbabwe, for example. I'll keep giving you examples of Zimbabwe because <laughs> that's where I first had yeah, of course, of course. experience. Anyway, in Zimbabwe, like I've said before, before the 2000s, if you look at trends, Rainfall was more or less predictable. Like there, there was a pattern to how we received rainfall in Zimbabwe. Post 2000, uh, after 2000, there has been an erratic rainfall pattern. And from 2002, to be specific, there has been like accumulative drought. And also, more, we've, we've been hit by a natural phenomenon such as the El Nino more frequently. And the time that we receive rainfall has shifted. And the periods inside the rainy seasons have also shifted. And so now this has had an effect on agricultural systems such that in 2012, for example, there was the, the, the larger population of Zimbabwe faced the risk of a famine. There wasn't enough food to feed people. And there are also speculations that we might um, experience another El Nino in the 2018 to 2019 season. Okay. Yes. And so that, is, that has had a, an impact on our agricultural system. Mm-hmm. Uh, farmers are, pr are producing less than they used to. There is even less groundwater for those who are able to carry out the irrigation for their agricultural practices. And mm -hmm. yeah, so for us, it's been real. We have seen the impact of climate right, change right. in Zimbabwe. Yes. So what can be done about this then? Well, for me, I, I think 
our answer to that is agricultural biotechnology. For example, with genetic engineering, we can produce, we can come up with varieties of, example, maize that are drought resistant, that are drought tolerant. With drought and, and, and these oninos comes the problem of pests and diseases in this type of situation. And so the pests, the pests and diseases problem is not far off from the same situation. And so if you can, if you can use genetic engineering to come up with varieties that are drought resistant, that are at the same time resistant to pests and diseases, then that, that would be revolutionary for us. That's what's holding us back. We're not, we're just using conventional type of bidding, which is, which is okay, but to, to try and combat and match up to what's happening in the natural world, we need to come up with a faster solution to some of these problems. So a big way to revolutionize agriculture is actually to empower women. And so you've done a lot along this vein. So what kind of things have you been working on to help women in agriculture in your country? So I belong to Simuka Rise Initiative and Young Excel Club. Those two clubs uh, basically are all for women empowerment in the education sector, in the social, and then in the economic so for for us, for example, we've uh, we've had uh, several economic seminars, and usually targeting young girls in school and in college. For example, we hold uh, how to be financially savvy, how to to save money and be independent as a woman, and we also expose these young ladies to um, women who've made it in the corporate sector and show them that they they can also do it. Mm-hmm. With us on the social aspect, we've also uh, been able to carry out sanitary wear donation drives, and we've managed to donate sanitary wear to girls in high school, in high school in Mashonaland, west of Zimbabwe. That is the western side of Zimbabwe. We also managed to pay school fees for kids of single mothers, kids in primary school for single mothers. In agriculture specifically, is there a disparity between the types of resources that women have as opposed to men? Yes. Surprisingly, yes. <laughs> in Zimbabwe, um, over 60% of the farmers, of the total farmers in Zimbabwe, are women, right? And they provide 70% of the labor. So it shows how crucial their role is in food security and nutrition security of the, of the country. But you find that for female headed households and male headed households there's a difference when it comes to land allocation male headed households get relatively larger pieces of land when it comes to allocation and female headed households get lesser land even though they might have the same family sizes the problem is even if it's inherited through the family and a woman like for example if the husband died mm-hmm. and the woman is now heading the family when they're alone it's like they're vulnerable. It's easy to go to a woman and take land from her than it is easy to go to a man and take land from her in I my see, country. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you find that um, in most cases, in male-headed houses, for example, the woman is given, culturally in my country, the woman is supposed to have her, her own portion of land, right? But you find that, the, for example, if the family has six acres, the amount of land that woman is going to get, the woman in the family is going to get is about half an acre where she can only be able to produce crops for feeding the household and not for cash. I see. So now the decision-making on how much to sell, what money we're going to get, and how we're going to allocate the money in the family is all made by the, by the husband of the family. So women are not being... Um, 
economically empowered enough to take part in agriculture that can benefit the whole country. How can you go about empowering women economically? Hmm. I believe it, it, it has to, to stem from um, the grass tops. Land allocation has to be equal and fair. It doesn't have to be based on whether someone is male or female. There has to be a law in place that protects women when it comes to land ownership. And I personally feel like if there was to, to be available an institution or a school that enrolls women to teach them on how they could benefit from agriculture, that's, only, that's not only for subsistence, but that's for agriculture that benefits the whole economy, agriculture that they can take into the inter international markets. I think that would be revolutionary for for the country, seeing that 60% of the total farmers are women anyway. Mm -hmm. Yes. What kind of things then, if you're coming into this country and you want to empower women, where's a good place to start? Is it education? Is it giving women more funding? Is it grassroots type of work? Where's a good point to begin? I would think education would be the the best way to tackle it. Education, and then when they're educated enough to know wh what they can do with agriculture, how agriculture can change and turn around their lives, then persuade and maybe make a, a policy. For example, the, the banks, when they're giving out funds, there should be maybe a protective policy that says for each bank that's going to give out funds to for agriculture, you should, you should set aside a certain percentage of your funds for women, specifically for women in agriculture. How will this help everybody in the long run, not just women and their families, but the whole country? If women's agriculture was to be taken to that international level, it exposes them to markets where they can get, they can sell at a more valuable price. Empowering a woman is empowering a nation. You give women power, you see the revolution that they can cause. 70% of the population in Zimbabwe resides in rural areas, right? And 60% of that population is made up of women. These are female-headed households. These families, on average, are six, seven in size, like six and seven people in a family. And these women are responsible for the feeding, the clothing, and the tuition, school fees of the kids in the family. If they were to practice agriculture and get enough money and, and get access to put their produce on the market and get money, they would be able to, to, to send their kids to school. They'd be able to, to feed their kids and clothe their children. It opens opportunities not just for them and this generation, but for the next generation. If someone gets an education, they now hold the power to change their country, to change the nation. You're doing this program right now. What is your personal goal? Like, what do you want to do in this? I want to take whatever knowledge, information and, 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 and training I'm getting from you and take it back to my country and show them that we can also do what the United States is doing, specifically when it comes to agricultural biotechnology. The agriculture in my country is pretty much subsistence. They're not moving with the times. No one is moving with the technology. And not because they don't want to, but because there are policies in place that are hindering the process that are hindering the access to these technologies. Yes. So if I can go back and persuade people that we need this, it's for our own good, then I would have done a great job. Thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. Okay. Thank you so much. This is Elizabeth Fernandez for Spark Dialogue Podcast. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to you joining us again in two weeks for another episode. If you're interested in subscribing to the podcast, you can find us on many of your favorite podcast repositories. 
such as Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, podcasts are free, so one way you can give back is to leave a rating or tell your friends. You can find out how to subscribe or how to rate at sparkdialogue.com slash how dash to dash subscribe. Also, check us out on facebook.com slash sparkdialogue or on Twitter at sparkdialogue, as well as Pinterest or on the web at sparkdialogue.com. As always, thanks for listening.